reassured himself. He said, multiply, that's very clear. Make more of yourself, make more of me, pursue me more and more, make make more Christ followers. But he reassured what he said even more. He said, don't dwindle away. He like doubled down on what he said. Don't dwindle away. Don't let your faith, don't let your hope for me dwindle just because you're in a tough place. Um, seek all aspects of God's kingdom, not just not just your replicas. I think it can be really easy for me at least to to find people, to seek people that are similar to me or to think a lot like me. Um, but in that scenario, am I making, am I entering the kingdom, welcoming the kingdom, or am I just welcoming people that look like me, just my replica? Um, and to me, that can be a pretty scary place to be. We need, we need more Jesuses, not more me's. I, I was saying that, I wrote that down, I was like, is that a weird thing to say? But it's true. I don't want a bunch of me's in this room. I want God's kingdom in this room. I don't want a bunch of Hanses or a bunch of Corys, even though they're great. I want the whole kingdom of God represented in, in our church, in our ministry, in this youth group. If we get to a place where we've just built a culture of a hundred versions of ourselves, where are we at? Welcome to the PC Youth Pod. Thank you for taking time to listen this week. Where do you turn when things get difficult, when the heat of life gets turned up and you have a difficult time keeping your cool? God can teach us how to respond if we let him. So get a Bible, something to write with as we get into this week's message. Who said tired? Come on. Milan? Oh, he said fire. Okay, hope you guys are all doing fire. Um, just a quick little thing. If there's any college students left, Pastor Aaron is bringing the word upstairs in the youth center. So if anyone wants to go up there and hear from him, any college students, it's going to be a great time. Um, I'm really excited to get into the word with you guys tonight. Um, it's been a word that God has kind of been putting on my heart. I mentioned last week that I had the opportunity to go to a conference. Um, I think it was last week I got back. Um, and since I got back, this word has kind of been on my heart. But first... I want to set the stage a little bit. I'm going to be um, reading out of Jeremiah uh, chapter 29, talking about being exiled. That's the title of today. Um, But I want to set the stage a little bit. I want you guys to all kind of think of a time where you were in a social situation. um, You found yourself in an environment where you were totally out of place. And I was like thinking about that today. I was like, okay, let me think of my own. And it was actually a little bit hard for me at first, but I remembered vividly my first day of high school. As a freshman, I walked into the doors of a... I went to Silverton High School. I graduated from there in 2018. But for middle school, I went to a super small uh, middle school. I think I had like 15 kids in my class. And I walked into Silverton High School, uh, which is like 1,300, 1,400 students. So still pretty big. And I was like, whoa, I do not belong here. There's a lot of people I've never seen before. It was a totally new environment, and it took a lot of um, change and social reform uh, to to get used to that place. Um, and it ties a little bit to what I'm going to be preaching out tonight in Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah chapter 29 is talks about when God exiled his people to the city of Babylon. Um, Babylon was a place... Um, which is now I said to be modern-day Iraq, but at this time in the Bible, it was a very global environment where there was a lot of people from a lot of different places all over the all over the map. There's really holy people, but there was very broken and hurting people from all walks of life. And oftentimes, it was a place that was avoided. 
people, especially people um, that were Christ followers, didn't, didn't want to go to Babylon. It was a it was a place full of brokenness. Um, hopefully, nobody's from here, but I would con- con- consider it to be kind of like Las Vegas. <laughs> hopefully, nobody's from Vegas. But ref- Scripture refers to this city as the wicked city. Um, but just like the world we are living in, I see Babylon as a collision course for brokenness. Like I said, there's a lot of people from all different areas of of their walk. Um, so if we can turn to Jeremiah chapter 29, um, I want to read a few scriptures from here. Starting in verse 4, um, it says, This is what the Lord of the heaven ar- heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captains he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Actually, I want to pause really quick. I'm super excited to read the scripture. <laughs> I was preparing this message, and I was like, okay, I don't even need to say anything else. This scripture says it all. I can just say it there, read it, and go away. Um, but so just bear with me when you read it. It's a few verses, but it's so good. I'll start again. This is what the Lord of the heavens armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives his exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Um, Build your homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of the heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found in you. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and bring you home again to your own land. I can go now, right? You guys listened. It was pretty good. I can get up. It's so good. It's so good. I had to read it. I read it like 80 times, I bet. Um, but you may be asking me, Spencer, what is, what is an exile? It says that God exiled his, his people from Babylon to, from Jerusalem to Babylon. And I just looked up the definition of what an exile is and the internet says it as the condition of period of being forced to live away from one's native country or home, especially as punishment. So all these people that lived in Jerusalem, at that time Jerusalem was a very holy place. I mean, it was God's, it was God's land. It was a very easy place for people to live that believed in Jesus. It was easy for them to live there. It was very comfortable. They had their environment that they were used to. They didn't have to experience much struggle or pushback. But when God sent them to Babylon, this is where the story I told you to think about comes in, they were very out of place. For a Christ follower, to anyone really, Babylon wasn't a place of hope or for peace or prosperity. It was a place of a lot of darkness and doom, and it wasn't a fun place to exist in. So I'm thankful that my high school experience wasn't necessarily like that, but it makes me think when I was thinking back, oh, I walked into Silverton High School, it makes me think about how uncomfortable these people from Jerusalem actually were to be able to to be sent um, to Babylon. So the definition of an exile, like I said, it's a period of being forced to live away from one's native country or home. 
the cool thing I see about this scripture is, I'm just going to go through the scripture today. Um, God sent his people from Jerusalem to Babylon, not to just live uncomfortably, but it says, you have a plan to stay, to plant gardens and eat food that they produce and multiply. Do not dwindle away. God had a desire for his people to enter a lost city, to meet more lost people that can eventually live in eternity with them. It's very interesting to me, um, as I'm, as I read this and kind of prayed over this passage, God didn't say, go to Babylon, it's gonna be hard, sorry. It was, go to Babylon and live like me in a place that's not like me. Go to Babylon and live like Jesus, live like God, where nobody else is doing it. And it's pretty interesting to me and pretty convicting to me, because it feels very parallel to what I think I'm living in, and I hope some of you would agree what we're living in today. Whether you're a Christ follower, or you've never been to church before, or someone brought you here and you didn't even want to come, I think most of us can agree that it's not a very comfortable climate that we're living in. Um, and I would compare it largely to what Babylon probably looked like. I don't know if it's worse or if it's better, but to the same extent, it's not, it's not fun. Um, but God still called his people to that place in Babylon to go live like me and to, to show what people, show people what I'm like. Um, so that's my setting the stage a little bit. God didn't call those people to be stagnant or satisfied where, where they were at. It could have been easy to be like, ah, I'm satisfied in Jerusalem. I'll just stay, God. I'm not going to listen to you. No, God called them to go. And to my interpretation of this, it's no different today. God didn't call us to stay in our little, sorry, I had a hiccup. God didn't call us to stay in our little, in our little bubble and be comfortable, but He called us to go and to be like Him. Um, so this brings us to my first point. Um, I think the one of the out of the scripture, the thing that stuck out to me most was the point of multiply. I just kept thinking over that word and praying over that word, and it, so in verse, let me find it again. In verse 6, he says, multiply, do not dwindle away. He reassured himself. He said, multiply, that's very clear. Make more of yourself, make more of me, pursue me more and more, make make more Christ followers. But he reassured what he said even more. He said, don't dwindle away. He like doubled down on what he said. Don't dwindle away. Don't let your faith, don't let your hope for me dwindle just because you're in a tough place. Um Seek all aspects of God's kingdom, not just not just your replicas. I think it can be really easy for me, at least, to to find people, to seek people that are similar to me or to think a lot like me. Um, but in that scenario, am I making, am I entering the kingdom, welcoming the kingdom, or am I just welcoming people that look like me, just my replica? Um, and to me, that can be a pretty scary place to be. We need we need more Jesuses, not more me's. I, I was saying that, I wrote that down, I was like, is that a weird thing to say? But it's true, I don't want a bunch of me's in this room, I want God's kingdom in this room. I don't want a bunch of Hanses or a bunch of Corys, even though they're great. I want the whole kingdom of God represented in in our church, in our ministry, in this youth group. If we get to a place where we've just built a culture of a hundred versions of ourselves, where are we at? Um, I want to take you to Acts 9, uh, verse 31. Uh, this is the NLT version, if anyone's wondering. 
Paul says, The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord, and with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in numbers. It didn't say the church then had peace throughout Salem, or just Judea. It said the church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, it says in Acts chapter 1. He's not just talking about, Paul isn't just referring to one place, make peace. Make peace in Babylon, make peace in Salem, make peace in Judea, make peace in all these places because God is overflowing in you to do so. At the same time, go back to Babylon for a little bit. God called these people to to multiply and to not dwindle away. But at the same time, in the next verse, in verse 7, he says, Work for peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. He admitted to them, yeah, I sent you into a place of exile. It's not fun to be here. But work for peace and prosperity because it doesn't exist there. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This was really heavy for me as I was... Every time I get up here, it's kind of weird to be up here still, but every time I get up here, I just feel like I'm talking to myself. But as I was preparing this, it was just heavy, like sitting on me like, God, I don't want a bunch of me's in this room. I don't want to just focus on what our church looks like, but I want anybody from any walk of life to be able to walk in these doors and feel like there's a sense of peace and prosperity here. What is it? And and build that culture within, within our DNA. Um, my next point is, the difference between a disruption and an interruption. My personal definition, I'll give you the real one in a second, but my personal definition of the two, I would think of an interruption as you just got done with Sunday church, you're leaving, you're ready for lunch, super pumped up, you and the family are like, okay, where are we eating? You couldn't even wait to get out of the service, and you're about to leave, go to lunch, and someone stops you, I'm with my family, say, someone stops me and my family's going and they talk my head off, and my family's like, okay, we're still going to Applebee's. We'll order, order for you. You'll meet us there. That's an interruption. It's not a big deal. You can recover from it. Um, a disruption to me is a crash course or an event that took place and had drastic impact and it required massive change at the end of it. Um, so I'll read the actual definition now. Interruption, it says, a period where something is interrupted... Definition of disruption is a disturbance or problems which interrupt a process. So interruption, the big word is period. That's a one point in time, a period. A disruption is process. That's a long time. Things are working. Um, so an example of this in Jeremiah 29, you can see, I would think that a lot of the people from Jerusalem felt very disrupted by God to be sent into exile to to Babylon. It wasn't just... An interruption, okay, I'm going to go there for a day and make peace with these people. Is no, go live there. That's super disruptive. I would be a little bit like, are you kidding me, God? Like, why do I got to go there? Why do I, why do I have to leave this perfect place of Jerusalem? That's, that was a massive disruption. Um, and as I was reading further, I just kind of felt this on my heart. A disruption demands a pioneer in the end of it. These people, God called them, go work for peace, go work for prosperity, Go, go multiply. Do not, do not let your dreams be, be gone. Don't let them trick you. Don't let these evil people trick you. They, he said, no, go be pioneers for what I believe in, what you know to be true. It wasn't, they got disrupted and they just stopped and let the, let the pain get them. They didn't let 
it wasn't just that COVID happened and nothing has to change at the end of it. No, there's massive changes of the way we live now because of what happened in the past year and a half. The business definition, if you live in the business world, I graduated with a marketing degree, so this spoke to me a little bit. The business definition of disruption is a radical change to an existing industry or market due to technological innovation. I nailed down the definitions. I think it can be very, I think we can agree that this was a disruption in, in the way the people of Jerusalem were living, similarly to the way that we were disrupted in March of 2020. I alluded to it, but I think we've all got, kind of gotten in the, the rhythm, rhythm of, yeah, that year was pretty terrible. And it's just like, I can't wait for it to get back to normal. But the more I read the Bible and the more I pray, like, God doesn't call us to get to, to comfortableness. This verse didn't call us to go back to our normal. It says, go and multiply, go into exile, go into, to all these things. It didn't say, go back, I can't wait for, for post COVID, or pre COVID. No, there's change that is required after the, after the fact. Disruption's inconvenient. Disruptive is not fun. But ultimately, it's proven here in the scripture that disruption is, is God's plan. Disruption empowers people to lead the charge for change. When God sent his son Jesus onto this earth, it was very disruptive. He did it. It was his plan. I'm a firm believer that this past year, especially for us believers, was a pretty massive wake-up call. I personally got so comfortable with the model of going to church on a Sunday, getting my little praise time in, and going home and having Chipotle after. But I don't think that's what it's about anymore. I want to be the type of person that still has my worship time, still has my praise time on my own with God, but takes eight different people that don't look like with, look like me to Chipotle at the same time after church. I felt very disrupted when, when Corey and Sarah and all of my friends and I were in Ashton and Fear. We we're at school in March and we get an email that says, you gotta go home, nobody's coming back. And we're like, oh, sweet, like, let's go. We get to go home for a little bit of last year because of COVID. And then it lasted till however long we're still living it. That's disruptive. But I believe that God is trying to, trying to tell us something in this season. Changes required at the conclusion of a disruption. And personally, like I've alluded to, in this season, you... I was required to get on my knees before the Lord and yank all the pride out of my life. It was easy, like I said, to, to get comfortable on a Sunday and a Wednesday and have the church fun. But it was like it turned into a show for me. It wasn't, it wasn't authentic. It wasn't leading more people to the kingdom. It was, I'm going to hang out with people at church that looked like myself. But honestly, like I said, the ultimate disruption that God did was send his son Jesus. So much change was required at the end of that. It made people mad, it made people happy, but the the course of the earth when Jesus was born changed. And at the time people thought it was bad, but I believe that because of this intense season that we went through, there can be massive change for good at the outcome of it. So this leads me into my next point of preparation. 
I've talked to it a little to you a little bit, but COVID it changed my outset on things. I'm going to be the first to admit I was very angry for a year and a half. Like God, please can you can you make the earth go back to the way it was before? It was so much easier. But even as I was preparing this message, I realized that that's not probably going to happen. I had to realize and sit there in my office praying and God telling me, it's not going to be back to normal. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit there and wish it was the same? Are you going to go back? It's not comfortable for me to have to walk into a store with a mask or whatever. Not that that matters. But it was comfortable for me before. But how am I going to make this new way of life any different and push towards the kingdom? And one way that I've felt convicted is it's important for me to escape my comfortable church atmosphere. It turned into for so long, someone getting up on the stage, like I said, getting their little dose, and then you're going home. I want to be the type of person that lives Sunday Sunday through whatever the other day is. We come on Sundays and Wednesdays. I want to be the person that lives on Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday, the same that I do on Sunday and Wednesday. And it was easy because we could come and have a good time with our friends and we felt like we got fulfilled. But now that a lot of churches are closed, we're lucky to be open even. But now that there's even more brokenness than there was before, you see it every time you drive to church, that homeless camp. Like, there's more brokenness than there was a year ago. So how are we going to go about it in God's, in the way God wants us to? I wish that we could go back to the way we were, but... I'm also thankful that that probably won't happen because it's going to be able to lead more people that are broken to the to Jesus. I believe we're currently living in Babylon. As I was reading it, I'm like, this seems a little bit familiar. And that's why I'm like, you can just read the passage and you're good. But I also believe we're conquerors. Conquerors, however you say the word. God didn't... God didn't put us here just to to live a terrible life or a life full of of turmoil. Yes, that is the earth because we live in we're fallen people, we're all human. But God also knows that with his power and with his strength and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live as conquerors and lead more people to him. In Jeremiah it talks about multiplication, not addition. I want to be a person that thinks in the terms of multiplication, not addition. I don't want to add two or three more of me's. I want to multiply all of what God has created and work for peace and work for prosperity and pray to the Lord so it may happen. Romans 8, verses 35 through 37 says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity? It's clear that we're going to be have a troubled life here on earth? Or are we persecuted or are we hungry or are we destitute or are we in danger or threatened with death? Does it mean he no longer loves us? The scripture says, for your sake we are killed every day and we are being slaughtered like sheep. So no, does it still, does it separate us from his love? No, despite all these things, in Romans it says, overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Through Christ, we can have victory. Through Christ, we can have the perseverance we need to to go and make that connection that we wouldn't have had before. Through Christ, we can 
We can overcome what we had to endure and make it better and make it for Him. Are we going to lead? This is my big question I've been asking myself. Are we going to lead the way in this new environment? Not just exist in a post-COVID world. Not just thank, be thankful we don't have to wear a mask anymore. Not just be thankful that it's somewhat normal. No, are we going to lead the way for change after disruption for the, God's glory? And one way I've had to challenge myself in that is be uncomfortable. But through Christ, I can be uncomfortable and go make connections with people that I may have not a year ago. With the power of the Holy Spirit, I can, I can find people on the street or there's a lot of brokenness, just like in Babylon, just like in Salem, where through Christ it can be covered. So the last point, um, as Hardy wants to come back up, the promise. I want to read the last part of this scripture in Jeremiah. It says, You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised. And I will bring you home again, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. There are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. There's a reason that scripture is known by probably almost everyone in here. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. The promise. God didn't just send us to exile. God didn't just make COVID happen. God didn't send his people to Babylon to leave them. It wasn't like, plop, there you go, figure it out. It was no, all those things I just read. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. But that only happened, that doesn't happen on our own. Like I said, he didn't just plop us here. It doesn't happen on our own. But with Christ, he promises to deliver us from the brokenness of Babylon, from the brokenness of Salem, from the brokenness of Oregon, from the brokenness of our country. Verse 10 again says, You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. Yes, that could mean back to Jerusalem, but think about, when he's referring to home, think about heaven. God promised to those who believe eternal life with him. And I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't want to exist just to try to get there. I want to exist to exceed and bring as many people along with me. Verse 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you. The plans are good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. I heard that scripture so many times before I read this whole passage and that alone, that's probably the only reason I heard it, it's encouraging but in the context of what is said in Jeremiah 29 it shows how faithful God is it can be easy, I still struggle with it, it can be easy for me to try to figure out, okay God how am I going to navigate this season by myself no God wants me to, He wants to do it with me. He wants to do it with you. And He wants to provide you the strength and the power to make a change for good after what you've experienced the past year and a half. I have, no matter how much I liked it, I don't want to go back to what pre-COVID looked like. Everybody told me during COVID, oh, this is going to be, 
there's a reason for this. God has a plan. And I was like, come on, I just want it to be back the way it was. But now I know what they were talking about. It's, I believe that God sent that disruption of COVID and all the social justice and everything that we experienced, it was terrible to wake us up a little bit. Christians were getting too comfortable. I was, I don't know about you, but you might've been stretching yourself. Good for you. I wish I would've been like you, but I was getting too comfortable. And I've talked about it a little bit the last time I was up here, but it led me to, to fall on my face a few times and it was not fun. (laughs) But the moment I kind of realized this passage and what they're saying in Jeremiah before even reading it and realizing that there is a reason for everything we've experienced it just was so it was so peaceful I knew that through Christ I can have peace and prosperity in this passage God is basically saying to his people do my work and I will honor your wishes I will make you whole how much better would it be to feel the blessings from Lord, from the Lord knowing your life is in His will rather than fighting back and forth with Him to be in your own will. I've spoken on that a little bit a few times already, but for a long time I wanted it my way and that was it. My way, God, you can follow me. Come on, like I'm going to go here, I'll go over there, follow me. It'll be fun, let's do it together. No, God's saying, I'm over there, you chase after me. I'm already at where you, where you, where I know you need to be. You don't know. Chase after me and I will deliver you into peace and prosperity just like, just like he did to the people in Babylon. If you read down later in that scripture, it talks about all the promises that were fulfilled later in Jeremiah and it's not like he's just messing around dingling a thing in front of us. Come on, come on. No, it's, he wants us to chase after him. Every time I think about how similar what we're existing in is to this scripture, it scares me a little bit. Babylon was probably a terrifying place, but so is where we're at now. And the more that kind of sinks in, I'm like, okay. But I remember every time after that thought that God exists to deliver us from that. There's a hope coming afterwards. I don't know when it's going to be, but Jesus will return to this earth someday. And to those that believe, John 3.16 says, you all know it, to those that believe will experience eternity with him and his father. I'm so excited for that day. And it makes this thought less scary. I pray every day that, that I live this. I would have loved to see what Babylon was like. And now after reading that it was known to be present-day Iraq, it probably wasn't very pretty. But I pray every day that I live just like God, God instructed us to do. Yes, he was talking about it years and years and years ago from his people in Jerusalem to Babylon, but how, why does it have to be different? God's calling us out of our comfort into exile. And exile can be kind of a scary word after I described it, but that's what his son, he called his son to do. He called Jesus into exile. He's a perfect human. Experienced no sin. He was tempted just like we were, but he experienced no sin in a sinful world. He probably felt a little bit out of place, just like I did 
more than I did when I walked into Silverton High School my first day. If he could do it, why can't we? If these people in Babylon could do it, why can't we? It's a fulfilled prophecy in Jeremiah 29, and you see it all throughout the rest of the scripture. It doesn't have to be different. Like I said, I don't know if Babylon was any different than Salem, if it was any better or worse, but the parallel is there. The similarities are there. Every time I drive to church, I see this homeless camp on my right growing and growing and growing, and and you've seen it probably on Portland Road. I just get broken every single time, and I just pray, God, send them here. I want to be a church where we welcome those type of people. Yeah, it's easy to invite our friends, my friend that looks just like me, who acts just like me. And they probably know Jesus. And if they don't, hopefully they, they do one day. It's easy to invite those people. But what about the person that looks nothing like me, that looks nothing like you, that's lost, that you could be embarrassed by? What about those people? What about the person that you never would have invited to to church before COVID happened. And I'm not challenging you, I'm challenging myself. I want to be a place where, I want to be a city where, I want to be a a state and a country where, where peace and prosperity is encouraged because we know we have the power of the Lord to do so. I want to continue pushing myself to get out of the comfort of, of my own bubble, of my own church life, of my own anything comfortable. I want to extend that and be uncomfortable because I know Jesus is pushing me to be. And maybe I'm not making any sense. I don't know. But at least, at least I'm challenging myself. I don't know, if you guys could stand with me tonight, I don't even know where I want to go with this, but it's just stirring in me. I think God, He's working on me, so I know He can be working on a few of you too. It can be really, really easy to think, oh, this wasn't for me. I got it. I invited someone here tonight. And it very well couldn't be for you. But I believe that that God's word always has something for someone. And for all of us, if anything, please just let this be an encouragement of what God's telling his people. To stay caught up with us as a youth ministry, go to PC Youth Salem on Instagram and YouTube. And join us Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Pacific time for our live stream. Have a great week.